Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Billboard Charpy Podcast. Harry Chess, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. Joined this week by a senior editor, Andrew Unterberger, Digital Side. Big week on the Hot 100 with Billie Eilish taking over after 19 weeks of the record for Old Town Road. So we're going to talk so much about that uh, this week. And uh, also going to flash back at the end of the podcast, 40 years to the number one song with Dave and Yao Penn from Hit Songs Deconstructed uh, coming back on the podcast talking about uh, how that number one song Actually, uh, you can hear traces of it uh, in a lot of current hits and uh, through the years, many other hits. So uh, I'll talk about what that song is uh, coming up at the end of the podcast. But as always, starting with the top 10 on this week's Billboard Hot 100 with, yeah, a new number one. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Number 10. I can write one song that's not a Number nine. I want you out of my head. I want you out of my bedroom tonight. There's no way I can save you. Cause I need to be sexual. I'm no good at goodbyes. We're both acting insane. Number eight. I got red, I got blue. What you want? The Chanel of Balenciaga, Louis Vuitton. She know I got the Fanny Prada when I belong. I needed me a diorite. I need me to want. I started from the bottom. You can see. Number seven. Cause I don't care when I'm with my baby yet. All the bad things disappear. You're making me feel that maybe I am somebody. I can deal with the bad nights when I'm with my baby yet. Number six. Ain't never got you know it being modest. Popping shipping only cause you know you popping. Yeah, you got it, girl. You got it. Number five. Can we just talk? Can we just talk? Talk about where we're going before we get lost. Let me have fun. I've never felt like this. Number four. Fresh flowers. 
feels like i don't know i mean i guess for some people it feels like their long national nightmare is is over for some others um i, I know people actually were really sad to see it go even though it already has the record you know people just kind of wanted this to go on maybe forever it felt like i don't, I don't think i don't think that many people necessarily considered it a nightmare but i think everybody sort of agrees at this point it's just it's just time to wake up you know it, it, it was it was a it was a nice dream but it lasted lasted maybe a little bit longer than than some of us are comfortable with me i'm feeling kind of groggy at the end of it uh time to to get up and start the day and start a new chapter all right so there's a lot we can talk about uh with the song being number one i uh, i'll start with uh song written by billy and her brother phineas produced solely yeah by phineas uh feels like a bit of an underdog story Uh, i suppose unless you were andrew unterberger no one saw Lil nas x coming fine if you if you say you did you lie but Billie Eilish has been, I feel like, on this kid's radar for a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm this kid now. Is that what's going on here? <laughs> All right, yeah, no, uh, but, but yeah, I, I have been, uh, I have been predicting big things for uh, for, for for young Billy for a little while now. Uh, probably going back like a year or two. Uh, but this is bigger than I would have expected. I, I think we all sort of knew that she was going to do big numbers with her with her album. When we fall asleep, where do we go? Uh, by that point, uh, you know, she she had kind of put up the. The streaming numbers to to prove that uh, that she had a, a pretty sizable fan base, and you could also see that on her social accounts and just sort of the enthusiasm around her whenever she made a public appearance, or you know her, her in, in, you know whenever you saw videos of her on tour, uh, her playing festivals. Certainly, it seemed like this was going to be a pretty pretty huge year for her. Regardless, uh, I don't think anybody necessarily saw a Bad Guy specifically becoming her first number one hit. I, I would have thought, okay, this album kind of lays the groundwork, uh, and it actually debuted the same week that that Old Town Road hit number one for the first time. Uh, but I, I think I, you know, I, I, I thought, okay, that, that's that's a that's a big debut, and, and obviously, you know, it was, it was the it was the first full track on the album, so that helped the streaming totals, and that was probably a big part of why it had that big debut, and it had a really catchy video that that went went along with it. But I don't think a lot of people, and I certainly didn't expect it to really grow from there. Uh, and you know, it kind of it slid back on the on the Hot 100 in the weeks after that, and then kind of boomeranged, and 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 then for the last two two or three months, we've been seeing it kind of slowly inch its way up to the top five, and then stick at number two for for a really long time. That I think would have been a, a totally reasonable outcome for that song. I, I, it's it's not like a very traditional pop song, not not like any of the songs we're talking about these days really are. But you know, yeah, as you're saying, it's it's it's, it's a weird song from a pretty underground artist, and and sort of a, coming from humble beginnings, and you know, has this this mid song beat drop, and you know, it, it doesn't really. You know, it, it doesn't really fit naturally on any one radio format, so it ends up sort of fitting unnaturally on all of them. 
there's a lot that goes into it, but yeah, it, it's 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 a pretty unconventional number one. It's 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 a it's a worthy successor to Old Town Road, and it's it sort of shows where we are right now, pop music. Do you remember when you first listened to the album? What your reaction was to the song? And I say that partly because. Barry a Friend Very was the friend, first right. alternative single, and that pop, uh, Interscope went with When the Party's Over first. It wasn't even the first single in either format. Yeah, I don't think it's the obvious choice necessarily off the album. I mean, you talk about it being the first full song on the album, so it certainly you know caught a lot of listeners that way. And yeah, you know, the, the the chorus is certainly very catchy and fun, and there's there's the duh that that sort of you know kind of serves as the, the the centerpiece for the song. And you know, it, there's there's a lot to kind of latch onto with it. It's a really really memorable song in a lot of ways. Would I have thought that this was going to be the song that that you know puts her in league with you know that that, that gets her where you know Taylor and and Sean Mendez and Post Malone weren't able to get this year, getting stuck behind Lil Nas X when when she's able to 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 go to get over the top finally? I certainly would have predicted that. But again, this is sort of the new normal of 2019. You know, the, the the conventional ballad isn't necessarily the obvious choice. Even the a song like "Bury Your Friend," which is Maybe a, I don't know a little bit more conventionally structured. At least it doesn't have a, a complete dissolve halfway through that turns it into a different song entirely. Uh, that's not necessarily a more obvious pick either. I think that the obvious pick these days is the song that everybody latches onto from the album, and that was "Bad Guy." And so here we are. So Andrew, you oversee the five burning questions post that we do every week about something major going on in the charts this week. It's obviously Billie Eilish. More major than this. I feel like I have to ask you about two answers you had. Let's have it. In that, so the first one is. Uh, you said that you wouldn't have minded or at least uh, you, you thought maybe sometimes an artist has to pay their dues a little bit more before getting uh, that first number one because it looked like maybe bad guy was going to peak at number two. And you said, you know, that's, that's not always the worst thing because it gives you something to shoot for afterwards. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, she has to pay her dues as if like she hasn't earned the number one. She certainly has. She's she's built up her fan base in a really interesting and organic way. And she certainly is, you know, one of the defining pop stars of this moment, this year. Uh, and Bad Guy is one of the biggest hits of this year by pretty much any conventional stretch uh, or any conventional definition, rather. So it's not like the song's an unworthy number one. I don't. I don't think it should be punished for being early in her career. But yeah, from a, from a you know sentimental viewpoint, as, as a chart watcher, I do kind of like the arcs of, of of pop stars' careers where they have to sort of keep reaching new plateaus and kind of get incrementally closer to the number one without just kind of arriving there immediately. And you know, as I mentioned in my answer in the, in the column, you can see it with a, with a number of the pop stars that we consider probably some of the biggest of the decade, where. Artists like uh, Drake and Taylor Swift, and uh, and, and now uh, Sean Mendez, and, and, and a couple other really really big names, uh, Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, uh, who all had a number two hit that kind of you know you, you thought maybe it would get to number one, maybe it wouldn't, but it it, 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 it tapped out at number two, and then they had to wait a little bit, they had to keep trying, and and and, and eventually they got to number one. And then once they did, the kind of flood, the floodgates opened, and then they all had multiple number ones after that, but. Yeah, it feels more rewarding, I think. Uh, you know, I'm sure the artists would rather get it as soon as possible, but for a fan base, I think it feels more rewarding that they have to kind of work for it and that they have to, you know, that they get the number two before they get to the number one. It's, it's like getting nominated for an Oscar before you win. It, it, it just makes the, that final breakthrough all the more satisfying. Being a Red Sox fan, <laughs> the way, yeah, the way it, can be that much look, sweeter when you finally win. You take the number ones where you can get them. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure Billie Eilish is not saying, ah, it would have felt better if I got it a couple years later. I'm sure she's more than happy with a number one achievement. And I'm, I'm sorry if I'm stepping over your next question here, but. Uh, I, I also want to point out that Billy was one week away from making history with this particular number two. Yeah, that was the other answer you gave that uh, I feel like is sort of a, a 
controversial but a different take is that uh, you're – do you actually – I read this right? You actually said that you think it would have been cooler in some ways for it to have tied the record for most weeks, peaking at number two, never get to number one, get those 10 weeks or maybe more, set the record. You think there, there's uh, – in some ways that's better than hitting number one? Yeah. I mean I don't know if it's better from an historical viewpoint. I'm sure that our publicist would rather be able to say, uh, you know, we've got a number one and yeah, we had a 10-week number two. But as a chart obsessive, as somebody who's you know been relatively infatuated with Hot 100 minutia from since far before I started working here, uh, you know that that's a that's a sacred mark to me that 10 week number two. You know, uh, foreigners waiting for a girl like you and Missy Elliott's "Work It." Can't think of two very much more different songs than that to, to hit number two. But I love both of those songs an incredible amount. I think it's it's extremely esteemed company to keep, and I think there is something to be said for like the, the historic runner up. I think that 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 gets you into. That gets you into the record books just the same. It, it makes you part of Billboard lore. It makes you part of Hot 100 history. Uh, I, I certainly will never forget those songs, and I wouldn't have forgotten Bad Guy, Bad Guy either if it had made that mark. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a cool little sort of footnote to have in a, in a career that's probably going to go on to do some pretty tremendous uh, things at the top of the charts from here. You know, ten week number two. That's a, that's a that's a thing that not a lot of other songs get to claim. So I, I think I think we're we're sort of overlooking the specialness of that record just because it does. You know, it is still. A silver medal. It is still a runner-up position. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but ultimately, it's it's kind of a bittersweet mark. It is. Rather have just the, the sweet mark. Billy, she'll get other cracks. She'll she'll ha- she'll have her shot to get to number one, probably multiple times if if she's so inclined. So I, th- I think m- m- getting this mark out of the way early, I think uh, I think that would have been fun from from a, from a chart watching perspective. I mean, but that is you know sort of um, like sort of a dangerous take, I guess, just because I don't know. I feel like when Missy Elliott was number two for ten weeks. I mean, you look at Work It and, you know, I mean, as major as that song was and, you know, if you probably ask people, you know, was it number one, they probably would just feel like, yeah, it was. But I'm sure many people thought, oh, yeah, okay, Missy's, you know, she's on this hot streak. This is her best album under construction. Work It's, you know, I mean, even she already had plenty of hit singles, but that was sort of, you know, a next level up. So, yeah, I'm sure Missy will come back with that number one soon. And, you know, it never happened. And I just feel like, I mean, maybe, obviously, you know, there's there's other factors working in Billie Eilish's corner that yes I think set her up for you know her potential number ones and Foreigner got their number one but just to you know I mean just just for someone like Missy to be like you know okay well, then we'll take the number two record and we'll go back and get it you never you never get that yeah, number you, one you, you it's never, never guaranteed and you know Missy herself said that you know those th- those ten weeks were like the most agonizing weeks of her life so I guess for the artist as much as the publicist it feels like there's 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 not really a whole lot of joy in just Every week, you know, waiting to see how I'm. How am I still number two? How am I still number? How am I still number two? Obviously, you're right. Uh, and and Missy, by that point, she she was she was a good half decade into her career at that point, and she had come close before, you know, close-ish at least. She had had top ten hits. She had she had been in the mix before. So I, I imagine she wasn't feeling as as uh, charitable with the. Uh, All right, well, 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 you know, if she had been stuck for ten weeks behind Lil Nas X, as you say, she it would have been excruciating for her, and I'm sure she would have been more than happy to get get over the hump there. But for Billy, it, it, she's you know she's. She's still 17 years old. She's she's uh she's you know the what the youngest person th- this decade or the youngest since Lord I guess since to, to have a number one, first uh, first person uh, to be born in the 2000s to to have a number one hit. Uh, clearly she's got a, a pretty long career ahead of her. Now you know, it's it's possible this is this would have been as close as she got, and then maybe she would have looked back and been like ah damn that little Nas X for you know just couldn't give me one week. If the Sixers lose say a record five finals <laughs> in a row, I'm going to ask you how you. Feel about that? I think that they they did do that. And well, sort of in the late seventies and early eighties, yeah. they won like they lost like four out of five, and then they finally won in eighty three. And I, I bet you that the eighty three championship was was a lot sweeter based yeah. on those uh those, those those times that they came so close and didn't quite get there. And we'll never be royal. Royal. It's a one in our blood. 
mentioned Lord, uh, so many obvious, uh, easy top-level comparisons to make. Uh, Billy is the youngest artist since Lord to be number one on the Hot 100. Also, the first alternative songs number one, uh, Bad Guys since Royals. So, uh, are those fair comparisons? We were, you know, maybe in some ways having a lot of these same discussions about mm-hmm. uh, Lord back in 2013. Uh, where, how do you uh, look at those two artists? It's a little bit different, I think, because yeah, nobody knew anything about Lord, and unless you're, you know, unless you're from the land down under, I don't, I don't you know, the the, the, new, the greater New Zealand area, I don't, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that anybody really had much awareness of Lord before Royal started making tracks uh, and and getting uh, getting close to the to the Hot 100 and eventually topping it. But Billie Eilish, I mean, this sort of feels like the culmination, doesn't it? I mean, like we 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 were talking about Billie in here before this song even existed. We were, we were talking about her for for Bury Your Friend and. For less, to a lesser extent, uh, you should see me in a crown, and when the party's over, and, and other songs that already made her a pretty public presence, if not necessarily like a radio conqueror, the way this song is turning out to be. But you know, e- even even on the alternative songs chart, this isn't her first number one. Barry a friend already gone to number one, uh, and so it, it feels a little bit different because it, it doesn't feel like this is the song that's going to define her. It feels like Billie, Billie Eilish is not is, is already too big to be defined by any one song. Whereas that was definitely a risk with Lord. I mean, she she sort of got out of that box because she had another top ten hit. She got nominated for an album of the year Grammy. At this point, Lord is Lord, and 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 you know, people associate with her with Royals forever. It's the one song by her that everybody knows. But there are Lord fans that don't care about Royals. That that's not. It's it's a it's an important part of her biography, but it's not necessarily the first line. And the same is true with Billy here, but even more so probably. Like Billy was already a major star before this song even existed, and now she's just unquestionably a superstar. Is it overgeneralizing and maybe uh, three guys sitting here aren't, aren't the ones to ask, but is there something to uh, every generation, but every every once in a while, every few years, or if you go back to, say, Alanis Morissette in the 90s, that... Love, uh, love taking it back to Alanis Morissette uh, in the 90s, Gary. Uh, that every once in a while, an artist comes along who uh, just happens, again, I'm not uh, just grouping everyone together, but uh, a younger female artist known for, uh, for lack of a better term, moody music that's alternative and pop. And maybe there's something to younger female fans who can identify with mm. that. And sometimes we're thinking, wow, how did this get to number one? But maybe it's not always uh, the obvious pop hit. The alternative side of uh, the audience uh, likes music too. Yeah. And I remember looking at this when we were doing something you know, last year or the year before around the time the Grammys about the youngest people to ever win the album of the year uh, Grammy. And they're almost all women. Uh, for for whatever reason, it seems like uh, I don't know if you want know, to make your generalizations about girls maturing faster than guys or whatever, but uh, it seems like the the pop the, the pop public has an easier time taking young female artists seriously than it necessarily does with young male artists. I mean, there's exceptions to that on both sides, obviously, but when when you look at these kind of the, the, these these phenoms that aren't just Maybe it's because uh, the, the male ones tend to get booked in as, as teen heartthrobs, whereas uh, that, that that doesn't necessarily uh, flow the other way, gender wise. But the young young female artists do seem to yeah like you say they come around once every t- ten years or so ten fifteen years and they uh, they they feel like they're really kind of crystallizing the moment and you know some, sometimes they end up uh, you know blowing up and, and and going on to adult careers even more successful than they did as teenagers you saw that with Taylor Swift a decade ago uh, and sometimes like Alanis Morissette uh, they, they they you know it's too much too soon and. Maybe they're not ready for it. Maybe they decide they don't even really want it in the first place, and they never quite get back to that same place that they were uh, when they when they had their teenage breakout. But with with Billie Eilish, I, I think it seems like you know again the, the, there is no ceiling on one what she could accomplish at this point. She's already at such a rarefied position at such a young age, and the fact that she's young obviously is is an important part of her personality and her music, but it's not the defining part. Uh, 
and and then that that's, that was also true with Lord, which 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 makes that an interesting comparison that uh, both of them seem not necessarily wise beyond their years, but they seem composed beyond their years, and they. Uh, it's not hard to picture either of them you know, still being relevant, still being essential art as well into adulthood. Do we put uh, okay? So looking at this, do we put Halsey in in that category mm-hmm. to some degree? Because it feels like a few years ago, you know, if you'd asked who the moody alt pop singer songwriter is, um, it would have definitely been her. Now she has made her transition, probably I guess more fully fledged pop, and whether that's you know a sonic thing or she's abandoned it or whatever. I mean, is she? Do you think? We, do you think she's, she goes in that same boat or is is has Billie Eilish taken over that lane completely or I mean just the fact that they're going to coexist for several years just wonder what 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 that may, means her place is in this discussion well I think Halsey is probably a little bit more established on on pop radio now I think she's sort of like a can't miss artist in a way that Billie Eilish isn't necessarily proven to be yet although you know we were talking about Nightmare here a couple podcasts ago and that's that obviously didn't really take off at radio in any meaningful way and you could even wonder if maybe like you know, the fact that that song was a little bit more alternative, a little bit grungier, maybe that maybe that's the lane that's more occupied by Billie Eilish currently, and that uh, you know maybe, maybe uh, pop radio can play one or two uh, you know sort of an underground uh, experimental kind of pop songs, but uh, doing doing a third edgy pop song for, from from Halsey is, is is considered a bridge too far. I don't know about that. Makes me think of uh, Avril Lavigne too. She was mm-hmm. somewhere sort of in the middle, kind of started. Pretty much pop with complicated, but songs like Skater Boy, I feel like there was yeah, always kind of that element there. of yeah, when, when people, yeah, I remember the middle school girls when they like wanted to have problems, like <laughs> they Apple, wanted Apple to have problems, there, you know, and they were seeking out problems. You know, everyone have. feels like they, you know, they need some 3Dness to themselves, sure. and you know, I'm not just, you but, know, but happy it, all the time. But in reality, I'm sure that there's more than enough room in the pop landscape for both of them. Uh, I think you could say that maybe Halsey isn't like the the newest thing on the block anymore. That's certainly a fair assertion to make, but she's also significantly older than Billie Eilish. She's, she's already into her mid twenties. She's an adult artist. She's been significantly older. She is. She's almost a decade older. Uh, That's an inarguable point, my man. Feels like when Halsey came along, new Americana was very much pushed to alternative. She was really Mm -hmm. billed from the start as alternative, but that kind of segued pretty quickly with closer. And ever since then, she's been pretty much straight down the middle pop. I, I don't think Billie Eilish really cares to make much of a transition at all. I think she'll she'll say, yeah, if pop wants to play me, pop can play me. If all wants to play me, all can play me. You know, if country wants to play me, I'm sure that she's welcome there too. Well, maybe not, but uh, but you know, like she she doesn't make music for radio in any meaningful way, or at least if she does, it's 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 pretty cleverly disguised in her music, which doesn't really seem to concede to to obvious pop formatting or alternative formatting or anything like that. She and her brother make the songs that they make that they want to make, and if. Radio wants to to glom onto them; uh, they're welcome to do so. But uh, she, she's been pretty consistent in, in in putting out product that that seems true to her and her artistry, and that isn't necessarily geared towards any particular audience or format. One move she did make that could be considered obviously really commercial, but again tied to who she idolized when she was even younger, bringing Justin Bieber on. Sure. So when you look at that, when you look at how uh, after the first album, Lord was working with Taylor Swift's collaborators. Uh, there does seem to be this draw that once you get this big, you're, you might be in meetings with uh, or label saying, what if you work with this person? So there is that chance that commercial success brings uh, more of a – whether it's temptation or opportunities to go more mainstream after that. Yeah, I mean that, that's fair. But I think that the, the Bieber thing was also more organic than that maybe gives, gives it credit for. Uh, you know, She had you know, re- repeatedly stated in interviews going back to well before she was in the same sort of pop galaxy as Justin Bieber saying right. like, yeah, I grew up with this guy's poster on my wall. He's, he's one of my heroes. Uh, and so there was some, there was like a sort of wish fulfillment aspect to the, uh, 
to the the bad guy remix and going back to the fact that uh that she that for the the single art for that she actually used a photo of her as a you know a 12 or 13 year old with okay. braces and then or invisalign and the uh and the and the poster on the wall as she so often claimed that it, it, it didn't feel like she was you know she was you know trend hopping cloud chasing whatever you want to say it, it didn't feel like she was using bieber just to get his name on the record or just to say hey you'll, you'll make this a bigger hit why don't you come on it was like hey this is incredible like it it felt organic like like everything she does sort of feels organic even even if there are strings being pulled there you don't really see them in the process it, it, everything that she does feels very much on brand for her and, and and part of what she would be doing anyway if she didn't also happen to be one of the biggest stars in the world yeah i can't imagine that i mean yeah to that point i think like the suits definitely saw that opportunity and, you know, wanted to exploit that. I mean, I think if, if Justin, let's say Justin Bieber weren't at his high point, but, you know, uh, if they said, oh, you need to get Drake or The Weeknd on this song or whatever, I, I have a hard time thinking that she would allow that yeah. to happen. Just, right. I mean, the Bieber, like, it's, it's obviously so organic and so natural, and I'm not sure of this, the story of exactly who reached out to whom and, and how all those parts came together, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's just we need to get the biggest male artist on this song. It's just like, hey, you like this guy, and he likes this song. You know, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, it made sense for everybody, and it gave Justin Bieber the the chance to kind of seem edgy to 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 show that he's still cool. And then the fact that someone like Billy would have grown up idolizing him is a major cosign for him. You know, he's he's been around for over a decade now. He needs to kind of keep proving himself at this point, keep proving that he's he's still relevant, that he's still you know can can be the the, the heartthrob that he was when he was a teenager. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's sort of a, sort of a win-win for everybody. As it turned out, this, the actual song wasn't necessarily that great. The remix was, uh, yeah, maybe sort of lacking. Maybe Bieber's part wasn't as, uh, cleverly engineered as it could have been. It was almost more but, just the news that it came out. Yeah. Opposed to it was a good actually, headline. Yeah. It, was, it was a fun day's worth of content. I'm sure that they're not going to, you know, break their backs promoting it from here. It, it's already seems to have basically faded into the ether. But it was a fun moment for the two of them, and you know, if if if, if they had timed it a little bit better, if, if things had maybe broken a little bit more their way, maybe it would have made the difference in them, uh, in, in them uh, supplanting Will Nas X number one a little bit earlier. But as it turns out, maybe maybe the the timing worked out for the best for everybody, uh, except for Bieber, maybe. But uh, but uh, you know, it was made right in due time. But I feel like it almost does help that it didn't go to number one with that with that mm-hmm. Bieber remix because I think the the whole narrative around it. Would have shifted a little bit. Of course, there have been questions of, you know, could she have done it on her own and da da da. But I just think the fact that, I mean, to bring it back to, you know, this is a song that she and her brother made. And, you know, I mean, we've heard countless stories of people in the industry, like, you know, once once the, the, the suits or the label heads or the people try to get involved, then that's when, that's when the results fall apart. You think that you can somehow, and I think 2019 is a great year in itself to sort of make that point. You think you can always manipulate these hits and we can trust us. We know how to make a hit. And you, I mean, this girl and her brother made a number one hit, and you don't want to, you don't want to mess with that too much. I think going forward, so that to me is a, a key lesson to learn that let the creatives be the creatives. Well, and it's also the thing we talked about when Old Town Road first went to number one. After we'd already heard the Billy Ray Cyrus remix, we knew that that was going to be major, and then we knew that, that was probably going to take it to the next level. But I think we were all glad that he made it to number one on his own, so that the narrative of that song didn't have to be, oh well, you know, it was this cute little song, and then this this big established country star took a you know took ownership of it and, and brought it to that that next level that it couldn't have gotten to on its own. No, it could have gotten there on its own. It did get there on its own. Uh, and so that, that doesn't have to be sort of an asterisk next to the, the song as a, as a sort of fun, organic thing made by a, a teenager in his bedroom or a 20-year-old. I can't remember exactly how old Will Nas, Will Nas X was when he did the song. But it's the same sort of thing as, as Bad Guy. Like it, it's, it's a much more fun story when it's just yeah, these, these, these kids kind of working off the grid and coming up with this major pop hit. 
And so the fact that both songs got to number one without the without the the star help, even though obviously we're not comparing Billy Ray Cyrus to Justin Bieber at this point in their careers, but the fact that he was able to do it on his own, it's, it's, it's a it's a huge one. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah, so, uh, talking Old Town Road, what's the legacy of the song going forward we've been talking about almost nothing but that uh, as a current hit i think i think the song's going to take a breather for a little while i think that once once the song kind of fades from the charts and and officially you know kind of bows out of of, of this particular cycle i think everyone's going to need a break i think uh, you know you know you'll hear it some on end of year stuff and a decade stuff uh, but once we get into the 2020s I think it's probably going to be a couple of years before people are ready to revisit that song. I don't think you're going to hear it very much out. I don't think you're going to hear it very much on the radio. I don't think there's going to be, you know, there's certainly not going to be any more new remixes or new videos of it coming out. I don't think, but uh, I, I think long-term, I don't, I don't think it's going to be looked at as like a, a passing fancy. I don't think it's gonna be looked at as a fad or a craze or, or anything like the Macarena where we, where people look back and actually kind of wince at it. I don't think that's the case. I think there, there was too much, going on with this song too much that made it interesting too much that made it vital too much that kind of intersected with other conversations we're having about pop music and genre and then the music industry in general and and the internet and and the, the changing of the guard and in terms of of, of the, the the major stars that sort of define the marketplace at this point in time there's too much of that all going on the song's too important to sort of fade back into novelty so I, I think long term it'll be remembered very fondly. And I also think it's still, I think I still think, think it's a great song. I think it's a really interesting and, and, and innovative song. And I think that eventually we'll look back at this song as being one of the definitive songs of this time period. He does seem to have great no matter what uh, happens. He seems to have great perspective yep. about everything. Tweeting uh, congratulations to uh, Billy Eilish and uh, joking that uh, he's already going to get dropped by Columbia Records <laughs> now that he's not number one anymore. Yeah, no, I, he will definitely remain in the culture. I, I think it's sort of a TBD on whether or not he's going to have the sort of hits and the, 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 the sort of musical uh, consistency and, and, and endurance to, to, to really piggyback off the success and, and drive to further start from here. Obviously, it's hard for anybody to follow up the longest reigning hit in Hot 100 history, but it's, it's going to be a challenge for him. He, he, he isn't, and he ha- he's had other small hits, but he hasn't really been proven as a as a reliable, interesting, compelling artist. Uh, so, but, but he's also very young and, and he's, he's also very new to this in general. You know, he, even Billy is probably much more experienced than he is in just in terms of making music. You know, he's, he's only been doing this for a couple of years now. Uh, so he'll certainly have his chances. I think there's a lot of public goodwill towards him. And as you say, he's a, he's a great presence in Twitter and in, in media in general. So he's not going away. 
but we'll see whether this is the first, you know, the, 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 the first single in a long and really important musical career or this is just, hey, man, this guy had this one great song and he knew how to promote it like hell and uh, we'll always remember him fondly, but he's, he's kind of going to stay mentally compartmentalized at this point in time. I mean, there's no way this sort of doesn't overshadow his career for a long, if not forever time. But I mean, you hope he doesn't go down in that one hit wonder bucket. At least I personally just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, even if he can grab a couple more top tens or something, I think that would be nice. You know, even though a 19 week number one is going to probably eat up your next three, four, five top tens before people remember that. But I think um, in some ways I'm almost I'm really interested too, to see how the legacy of the song goes forward, not just in a musical sense, but I guess in a uh, strategic sense. I mean, talking about the promotion, the fact that, you know, th- I think for the first time, a lot of people sort of got to understand the mechanics behind how a song sort of can work. It's a promotion and with remixes and, um, you know, I mean, people looking at billboard chart rules and how these things, you know, merge up together. And I, I just wonder if, if that in a lot of ways also becomes part of its legacy in just even, I mean, it's like a business case study. It's instructive. It's just, yeah. I mean, so I'm sure there are plenty of people who are you know, somewhere record labels trying to unpack how you did this. And I don't know if it's something that you can boil down to a science, but uh, for me, that seems like it'll be almost in some ways the bigger legacy of this song is, you know, how how did you turn this bedroom hit into this 19-week number one? I mean, and, and to, to me, I mean, the timing, of course, is everything. I feel like almost, I almost feel like I was thinking the other day, like, if this had happened 10 years ago and, like, we had the same tools and, like, the same access, like, I bet you, like, Soldier Boy could have taken that number one oh, yeah. record. I mean, just if you'd have taken that that bedroom track, the dance challenges, put it here, got this person in the video, got this. I mean, it feels like that same kind of strategy just has become 2.0 with Little Nas X. So um, I'm sure, you know, somebody's out there trying to make it a 3.0. And, you know, I mean, I think that that's something that they can definitely learn and give them some re- some re-energized uh, hope. I mean, not only can you just make a number one or even a hit, but you can take all of these records, make all this money, you know, who maybe with we'll see with Grammy season maybe get some big recognition of some awards definitely some year end lists I mean it's not just a one isolated hit but you can make this a cultural phenomenon and keep it going forever. That's two uh, two bedroom number ones yeah. in a row by people uh, uh, as you're saying before Trevor labels oftentimes they do uh, they are able to to put the right people together for a hit other times it's it's that organic and the uh, the other question I thought you were going to ask to bring up from the five burning questions article. Was I asked? You know, I, I, I set a, a period for an over under for for when this this uh, this record was going to be broken. I said you know, I gave people a fifteen year window, so August twenty thirty four. Do you think the record will be broken again by then or not? Would you go over or under for that being the, the, the next number one? I mean, I feel like it's one of those things where you know the human body can only run a mile so fast at some point before you know it it just physically can't go past that. So I feel like it's one of those things where. You know, I mean, yes, you can have a 20-week, a 21-week number one. I don't think you can have a 30-week number one. I just don't think the four – I mean, that's that's more than half the year. I just don't know if, like, the cultural forces or whatever record labels got to get together to – or whoever has to hack iTunes for it. I just don't think that that can – that that will just be allowed to some degree, not by Billboard, but just by – just the way the industry works, just the way the cultural forces work. I mean, I can't imagine anything that has that kind of pull for – you know, six, seven months at a time. I mean, it would just, even with Little Nas X, I mean, by the end of it, you know, a lot of people, as much as they appreciate it, were kind of like, okay, like, do we really need a, you know, yeah. a fifth remix? Yeah, and I, I think that, I think there's a couple things about this particular record that aren't being given enough credit. I think that 
people forget sometimes how much work went into making this a 19-week number one, how much strategy. I mean, this wasn't like an accident. It wasn't like he put the song out into the universe and then just kind of stood back as it took on a life of its own. He was actively working every step of the way. I mean, I, I've broken it down week by week in a timeline before, but like almost every week there was something going on with the song. There was a new video, a new remix, uh, the 70 EP, uh, some sort of Twitter movement. Uh, you know, there, there was always, he was always you know, pushing it forward. This wasn't a song that just, that they just kind of took off and, and then – and then he he didn't you know his work was, there was done. He was constantly promoting it. He was constantly you know, moving it forward on his own. And I, I mean, a I don't know if a lot of artists have the drive for that, and b I don't know if a lot of artists have the ingenuity for that. Uh, and it was him. It wasn't really the label. I mean, I'm sure the label offered assistance and kind of you know facilitated a lot of it, but it was mostly him. And I, I just don't know if we're going to see that again anytime soon. And also, 19 weeks is a really long time. 19 weeks is a lot longer even than 16 weeks. I mean, the, the the fact that he got not only did he break the week, but he broke it by by a three week margin. That's tremendous, and and that's that's not like that's not that's not something to be glossed over. It wasn't like oh well, this Besito got to sixteen weeks, and then this went to nineteen weeks, so naturally something else is going to get to twenty. No, nineteen weeks is a huge number. Like that 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 is, you know, it's it's not impenetrable, but it's it's a significant it's a significant jump over a number that hadn't been tied even in twenty one years, and now. You know, and when we saw this in the 90s with One Sweet Day, you know, it, it was incremental for a little while. It was, okay, we had our first 13-week number one, then we had our first 14-week number one, then we had our first 16-week number one, and then it stopped. It's, it's not like uh, this stuff always moves in one straight line forward. These, these records don't just keep getting, you know, bigger and bigger and, 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 and in regular intervals. There'll be a gap at a certain point, and I think that we're about to hit that gap now. And also, you know, we've talked about this a bunch, but there wasn't – I mean even even though there was competition in the sense of a lot of big names came out with big songs, your Ed Sheeran's, your Taylor Swift's, your Post Malone's, your, your you know, the Drake's, a lot of really big names were heard from. None of those songs really caught on, not, not in the way that would present a traditional challenge to a, to a traditional number one hit. And as we talked about a couple times on the podcast, the only one of those songs that really had the numbers that would have been number one in an average week was, was Taylor Swift's Me. But that's one song in a 19-week span. That's not a lot. So you would think that there would have been there would have been another song that would have just you know kind of hit escape velocity and then just sort of took off to the stratosphere. Whether it was a uh, Lizzo's "Truth Hurts" or Khalid's "Talk" or uh, the Baby Shug, one of those songs that could have just it just needed that one more thing to really push it you know it, to really really push it into that next level. And it never really happened. And I don't think you're going to get to many 19-week periods in the future where none of those songs really present themselves. I think that's really unusual. So I think you combine those three things, the fact that it, that it not only beat the record, but it roundly beat the record, that there wasn't that much high-level competition in terms of other way, runaway hits, and the fact that Lil Nas X is a, is a pretty singular artist and uh, working a pretty singular song. I, I don't think this is as repeatable as some people may, may think it is. Do you think it's the record for how long? I, I took the over on the 15-year mark. I, I think I think it's going to be more in Mariah and Boys to Men territory, where it's a, it's a good two decades plus before we see it. It's like again. All right, you're talking about these songs that uh, couldn't knock off Old Town Road during its run. It's kind of interesting how this uh, how this mark uh, is actually going backwards. So there there were seven songs that had peaked at number two. Now it's down to six underneath Old Town Road. The record, a bad guy, but it could be. It could be uh, now again tied for the record instead of having it on its own because Senorita, so far a number two hit, really, really close to being number one this week. The way it's trending could be our new number one song next week. Uh, that, that's very interesting. It's, it's not often you, you pencil in those Billboard records and then you got you to gotta turn it over and erase it a little bit after that. That's uh, that's something I had not yet considered, but Old Town Road's going to, you know, that, that's, that's going to headline the record books for a little while now still. 
All right. Uh, Andrew, thanks for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure. With uh, going back uh, 40 years to 1979. So the song that we're flashing back to is My Sharona by The Knack. Uh, yeah, hit number one in the Hot 100 40 years ago this week. And our friends Dave and Yell Penn uh, from Hit Songs Deconstructed are joining us with uh, thoughts on how, yeah, four decades later, the song persists as a classic. And uh, beyond that, how you can trace it to recent or current hits, including Bad Guy, as we're going to hear, uh, in terms of some of the compositional characteristics common to both that song and uh, current hits. We're also going to hear Peter Griffin would be very happy. A little piece of Surf and Bird coming up. So that's all on the way to uh, take us out. Deconstructing My Sharona by the Knack on the Billboard Charpy Podcast. Dave and Yael Penn, welcome back to the Billboard Charpy Podcast. Hey, Gary. Great to be back. Hey, Trevor. Talking... My Sharona, and other than it being the anniversary, Dave, of uh, 40 years at number one this week in 1979, is are you such a chart watcher that that's the reason it's been uh, on your radar recently? No, it's, it's actually interesting how I came to rediscover My Sharona. Um, I was putting together our latest workshop a couple of months ago, and I needed to find an example of a classic hit to complement more recent hit examples to illustrate what we call the multi-section hook fest technique. And this is where every single section of the song is primed for maximum infectiousness. So I started going through the Billboard greatest hits of all-time Hot 100 singles, and I stumbled upon My Sharona, which I hadn't heard in years. And the second I put it on, it all came back to me how infectious the song really is. And, um, you know, once we deconstructed it, we realized that we found the perfect classic case study of the multi-section hook fest technique in action. Um, It's certainly one of the hookiest songs that you'll ever hear. And that's why 40 years on, you know, we still really can't get My Sharona out of our heads. And the beauty of it is that while it comes across so simplistic, when you look under the hood, you really see how meticulously well-crafted it really is. So um, if good with you, you know, we'll take a walk through the song and, you know, see how it all comes together. All right. So the first section is an intro, which was and still is by far the most popular way to kick off a top 10 hit. So, for example, in the first half of 2019, 96% of all top 10 hits kicked off with an intro. However, my Sharona's intro is pretty lengthy compared to many of today's hits. It clocks in at 19 seconds, which is almost twice as long as the 2019 year-to-date pop average. But despite its longer length, it has absolutely no problem at all keeping the listener engaged. And as you're going to see, it also sets up some of the most important hooks that you're going to hear throughout the song. So it begins in a very atypical way compared to most hits. And that's with an infectious drum hook. But the fact that it's atypical is one of the key things that helps my Sharona to easily cut the airwave clutter, grab the listener's attention, and hook them in right from the get-go. Now, even though it's atypical, there are other notable hits from both yesterday and today that belong to the drum hook intro club. So are you guys up for a quick round of drum hook trivia? We, we got to do it. We always have to do some kind of trivia, so let's do it. So we're going to start off more recent here. This one's easy, promise. 
I want to see who gets it. Now, this is a competition between Gary and Trevor. Let's do it. Shake it off, Taylor Swift. You got it. Okay. <laughs> One nothing me. Okay. Number two. Oh my God. I know that song. Hello? Is that, is yeah. that, that's the, that Sunflower. Yeah. Sunflower. There you go. We can go even a little bit more obscure. This might be a little bit harder here. Any takers? Um, so Gary and I are both looking pretty blank. Rolling Stones. That's a major hit. Rolling. Okay, Rolling Stones. That's the artist for sure. Name yeah. of the song? No. Oh no, it's gone. Honky Tonk Women. Yeah. Oh, Honky Tonk Women. All right, one more. Last one. Last one. The tiebreaker. Oh yeah. That's 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 the song that we're talking about. <laughs> that's like yeah, that's, that's that like Marcherona? Yeah, we we brought it back full circle. Yes, good. Okay, I said the title. For, the, for the record, I got the I got, but I got the answer. Like that was that's that's a roundabout answer, but it's still correct. I said the uh, official uh, title. Uh, uh, okay, all right. We're gonna have more trivia later. So <laughs> all right. So that last one is of course my Sharona, but the intro doesn't stop at the drum hook. It then adds bass followed by electric guitar, which further establishes the foundational instrumental hook groove that's heard throughout the majority of the song. So here's the full intro. Now, the foundational hook technique is also used to great avail in the hits of today. And a great recent example is the super infectious bass hook that's established right from the get-go in Bad Guy, which just hit number one on the Hot 100 40 years after My Sharona. So getting back to My Sharona, besides the infectious groove, the intro does one other important thing. It establishes the end-of-line chord progression hook that foreshadows the variations of the Sharona vocal hook that's heard in the verse sections. So as you can see, My Sharona achieves a lot in the very first section. And now the listener is totally hooked in and ready to move into the verse that follows. But one of the things that I just want to point out is that to some, the intro is also going to sound familiar, which makes it easier for the listener to connect with the song at first listen. And this is a hallmark of many hits, both from yesterday and today. So there are two aspects of the main hook that might sound familiar to very different audiences. So the first is the intro from this song. And let's see which one of you guesses this one first. Any takers? Uh, 
I guess if we had to wait that long. This was like in Jeopardy when you just hit the the eh, 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 like nobody eh, knows. Eh, eh. Spencer Davis Group, give me some love in 1966. Who? Who? What? So it's basically the reverse of the Mascherona hook with a similar rhythm. So Mascherona's progression goes from the root to the fifth and begins with the drums, followed by bass and guitar entering the mix. And on the flip side, give me some lovin' goes from the fifth to the root and begins with bass and guitar, followed by the drums. Now, the next one is a bit more obscure, so I really don't have high hopes of you guys guessing this one, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. You get extra credit if you do. Any guesses? <laughs> um, uh, no. Uh, yeah. I, I got I to tap out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, unless you're a classic metalhead like I am, you probably never heard Judas Priest's Cheater from their 1974 debut, Rockerola. But when I heard that, I knew I heard that end of line chord hook somewhere before. And it's actually Judas Priest. That sounds a lot like the hook of My Sharon, not even just similar. That's kind of the same notes, isn't it? it, it it's, it's pretty much identical. Yeah. yeah. But even the way that it's phrased is very similar as well. Yeah. Right, so yeah. Um, it's worth being a middlehead sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, all right, moving on to verse one. It keeps the listener locked in the main groove where um, that was established in the intro and now introduces Doug's infectious vocals into the mix. So in addition to the main instrumental hook, there are two points where Doug repeats the same lyrics in a back-to-back manner. So you got Pretty One, Pretty One, and Motor Run, Motor Run. And this is something that we call the partial line repetitive vocal hook technique, and it's a great way to provide a section with an infectious spin while heightening memorability. Now, this hook technique is one of the most popular that you'll find being used in both the hits of yesterday and today. Post Malone just really took it to the next level. Do I get extra credit, Dave, for uh, saying that's physical by Olivia Newton-John, the first one? Or is that too oh, easy? Gary, yes. Oh, you, you do get extra credit. I mean, that, that, <laughs> you know, for triple credit, what year did that come out? 81. Oh, wow. Garrett, sorry, Trevor. Um, you got some catching up. No, it's cool because um, I'll, I'll go one better. I'll say the second song was uh, Post Malone's uh, better, better Now came off. Um, I'm gonna say uh, like a 20 like yeah. 18 kind of hit. Uh huh. So um, I think that draws the score right back even. Wow, look at that. Well, and and what did it peak at on the Hot 100? Uh, we'll give it a one, two, three. I'm gonna say three. Yeah, not like wow. ten weeks at number one for Olivia Newton-John's physical. 
<laughs> look at you started, dude. I, I know. Look, I mean, yeah. we, we we can we can do this forever. So we better we better keep going. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, what was I going to say? The other thing about the verse, actually, is in between those two hooky lines, we find the end of line hook that was first delivered by the guitar and bass in the intro. That's now being doubled by Doug's time Sharona and line Sharona exclamations. And this provides these variations of the song title hook with increased emphasis. Now, following the verse, we get to what it's really all about, and that's, of course, the chorus. And while, as I mentioned before, the intro is longer compared to most of today's hits, the chorus actually hits earlier. So My Sharona's chorus hits at 32 seconds into the song, compared to the Hot 100 Top 10 year-to-date average of 42 seconds. And what's also interesting is that, in contrast to a lot of other hits, the chorus doesn't provide the listener with a satisfying payoff right off the bat. It begins more in the way of a pre-chorus, with a more driving version of the main instrumental hook, along with more animated vocals from Doug compared to the intro and verse, which further heightens tension and anticipation. And this leads to the climax at the end with the my, 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 I, I hook, which is doubled by the guitar, bass, and drums. So this provides the hook with more punch and power while also breaking up the familiar groove that the listener has been locked into since the beginning of the song. And this is important because it primes the listener to receive the song's main vocal hook that follows. So as you can hear, we get that tension release by settling back into the song's main instrumental hook roof, along with another variation of the song title hook, this time delivered with a stutter. And this provides the hook with an infectious spin that really serves as the song's key defining moment. Now, like drum hooks, stutter hooks are also pretty uncommon. However, there are some notable songs throughout the history of popular music that belong to the stutter hook club. The chorus then concludes on another familiar note with the end-of-line guitar chord hook, which reminds the listener of the time Sharona and line Sharona end-of-line hooks that they heard in the preceding verse and instrumentally in the intro. And then following the chorus, the song heads into verse two, which is similar to verse one, and then into another chorus. So essentially, this sectional progression repetition further ingrains these key hooks in the listener's head. Now, to balance out the repetition and help keep the song engaging, 
a new song section is introduced, which is the instrumental break. But surprise, surprise, even this one is totally hooky. It features an infectious instrumental call and response hook between the newly introduced guitar chords and the main instrumental hook groove along with the guitar solo. Following the instrumental break, we go back into familiar territory with another verse and chorus, but then to break up the repetition and further heighten engagement, we're hit with another instrumental break variation. Now this one features Burton's lengthy guitar solo, which is something that you might expect to hear in a late 70s rock hit. And while it's great, it's not really all that memorable due to the lack of repetition. So that's where the new chord progression hook comes in, which supports the solo in a memorable manner. And a great recent example of a hit that has a standout chord progression hook is Sucker's Chorus. I'm a sucker for you. The thing about Circus Chorus is that it features the art of the build technique that we just saw with My Sharona. It doesn't give the listener the full payoff right off the bat and instead heightens tension and anticipation for the main payoff that comes in the second stanza. So getting back to My Sharona, following the guitar solo instrumental break, which clocks in at a very lengthy one minute and 38 seconds and comprises one third of the entire song, my Sharona heads back into familiar territory in the very last section, which is the outro. It features the main instrumental hook groove, which provides the infectious backbone for another variation of the Sharona title hook, this time preceded by a lengthy ooh and doubled by the end of line guitar hook to provide it with increased power and emphasis. So all in all, My Sharona features three distinct instrumental hooks, four end-of-line instrumental vocal combo hooks, four partial-line repetitive vocal hooks, and three main vocal hook payoffs. Now, one section of the song is left hookless, and that's why we can't get My Sharona out of our heads 40 years later. However, you still haven't really made it until you get this man's treatments.
Yeah. So it's just, you know, in a nutshell, My Sharon is just an incredible song, just so hooky. And, uh, you know, it's no wonder why it still resonates with us 40 years on. It, great how you tie it, Dave, to uh, to bad guy in the sense that it feels like songs known mostly for instrumental hooks aren't in the majority. And I would think a lot of people uh, with bad guy, they think of that musical part after after she says, duh, that that part kicks in. So sometimes, right. you, sometimes it happens. Right, it's a break, yeah, yeah. And uh, for the legacy of this song, too, I feel like uh, you're more the, the classic rock expert, Dave, but uh, as much as it was a six-week number one at the time, uh, wasn't there some element of it being a little overhyped uh, in terms of it got to the point where it was so overhyped there was a little bit of backlash? But but here we are 40 years later celebrating it as, as an all-time classic. Yeah, I, I heard the same thing. It's um... – what was that other group that had that was totally overhyped and actually had a backlash? Moby Grape in 1967, where they released like six singles at the same time or seven singles, and it was just so hyped up. And it kind of relegated them to like a one-hit wonder. And that's kind of what happened with, uh, you know, the Knack and My Sharona. But, you know, regardless, it is an incredible song, overhyped or not. So... And as you always find, Dave, uh, great songwriting is great songwriting. And, and because there's such a, a thread between uh, the catchiness of pop songs over a decades, it's uh, once yep. you dig in, it's never really that surprising that you can find that a song from 40 years ago and songs from today, uh, there, there are so many similarities in the way they're uh, constructed. Yeah. I mean, listen, great craft is great craft. And, you know, the techniques and the core, you know, best practices – don't really change that much. You know, what the Beatles and the Knack were doing, you know, in the 60s and 70s, you know, you still have Billy and all these other people and Post Malone doing today. You know, technology changes, sound changes, but the core best practices remain the same. All right, Dave and Yael, we'll have you back soon. And uh, Trevor, good luck catching up in class. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, Gary, what are we going to do with you? (laughs) selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 